Just a quick note before we get going, there's going to be a lot of other stuff dropping this weekend. We've got a show covering Colonial Downs, Virginia Derby Day, and we've got shows for each day of Kentucky Downs. So you can look for those in your feed coming up. With that said, please enjoy the ad-free show. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Friday, September 8th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn bunker once again, home from Saratoga, looking ahead to another big weekend of racing. And we're going to start a little bit differently today because New York Racing obviously has uh, the week off as we recover from Saratoga and get ready for Belmont at Aqueduct. And a lot of my racing attention this weekend is going to be overseas because we have, over the course of Saturday and Sunday, five win-and-you're-in Breeders' Cup races in Ireland. So we're going to start talking about the three races on Saturday. And to do that, I had to bring in a heavy hitter. And this is a guy who I'm honored to have on these airwaves, uh, a, a former jockey who I had the pleasure of seeing win races at, uh, at Cheltenham and elsewhere, always was a big fan, was a little intimidated the first time I met him in the Ascot press room many years ago. I didn't want to bother him. It was one of those things. I just gave him like the quick handshake and turned around and he was like, oh, that's not going to do it. <laughs> I, was always, I was always touched by that, that, that this person I admired wanted to spend time chatting with me. I've had the pleasure of working with a world-class pundit as well. He's Mick Fitzgerald. Mick, how are things? Yeah, pretty good, Peter. I, I, I feel I've got to like puff my chest out now that you've bigged me up like that. <laughs> you were you, you were up in Scotland yesterday playing golf. How did that go? Yeah, great. I had a lovely time. I was up at Loch Lomond with a friend of mine. It's a magical place if you ever get the chance. Did the did the friend happen to be uh, AP McCoy? No, it didn't. It didn't. Uh, I don't know where AP is. Actually, his daughter is very busy show jumping at the moment, so I expect he's following her. Gotcha, gotcha. He is a golf partner of yours, though, as I understand it. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a good golfer too. So not quite as good as he was as a jockey, but he's still pretty good. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. You had uh, mentioned to me off air that you've been to a Breeders' Cup before. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, so I um, I broke my neck in 2005. And as you do when you do something like that, I was stuck for, I was bored. And I wanted to go somewhere I'd always wanted to go was New York. And the Breeders' Cup was in Belmont that year. So myself and a couple of mates said, come on, let's go. And uh, we jumped on a BA flight, off we went, and we had an absolute blast. The only thing I would say is Belmont in November was cold. And I think we were suitably underdressed, but we were suitably refreshed when we got there. So we didn't really feel the cold. <laughs> Whiskey in the tea, is that what we're talking about? Well, something like that. Um, I'd always heard about New York being a place that never sleeps. Well... I think we put it to the test, anyway. <laughs> Love it. Do you remember anything about the races those days, or was it more of a of a pleasure trip than a proper racing trip? Oh, look, I, I'd always wanted to go because even though I was a jump jockey, I I started out as an apprentice on the flats on the Cora, and you know I'd always loved flat racing um, from the from the get go, really. Um, and I think Scirocco won that year for huh? Christoph Sumion. Absolutely. But, he burst onto the scene, really. Uh, ice cool, you know, big winner for Andre Fab. Um, yeah, but like the Breeders' Cup now is a big deal. Um, it's a big deal in the UK. It's a big deal in Ireland. And, you know, fantastic that we've got Dermot Wells, who managed to break his duck over there with Tarnawa a few years ago. And like he's got a, a relation of that horse running this weekend. So That's I think right. that fits the bill perfectly because he broke new ground, really, when I can remember when he won the Belmont with Go and Go. That's sure. a long time ago. Like he and those Meidler Stud Farm colours, he was one of the first ones that really took America by storm. Yeah, that's a great point. And obviously the the 
European success in general at the Breeders' Cup has been unbelievable. And there's a lot of cross-pollination, I'd say specifically with horses who have success at Leopardstown and have success in America. I, you know, I think it's due to a number of factors. The high class of the racing, the left-handed bend, the ground tends to be you know, less on the boggy side, but there's a lot of potential predictors for horses that do well this weekend, especially on Saturday to have success at the Breeders' Cup. Do you think there's, there's something to that or do you think it's just a question of the class of horses that, that run? Yeah, what you've got to understand is, you know, the Corres where it is the home of the Irish Classics, but the Corre is a very different race course to Leopardstown. Now, Leopardstown, like you say, that tight left-handed turn, into the straight. It's a short straight as well. So like you say, very similar to a lot of the American tracks. And if they go slow and races become tactical, you can get some funny results because horses get trapped on the inside and they just can't get out. Um, we've seen that happen a few times. When the Grey Gatsby won a few years ago, he beat one of Aidan O'Brien's horses when Joseph got caught in the pocket. Ryan Moore was on the Grey Gatsby and he was brilliant on it, but he won the race by stealing it. Yeah, yep, that's a, a phenomenon we see here as well, for sure. Let's get stuck into these races on Saturday. Where Shall we go in order? Where shall we begin? Yeah, let's start with the juveniles, because that's, you know, look, when you go back historically in the last couple of years, the Europeans have done really well in the juvenile races at the Breeders' Cup. And the juvenile has also been a decent pointer. It's not like the old days where it felt like a lot of second tier horses would come over for the juvenile. We've seen classic winners. Uh, we've seen the uh, Derby winners come out of, of the Breeders' Cup juvenile as well. So that cross pollination is pretty cool, especially when we're talking about these higher class of horses. Who do you like in the champions juvenile states? Oh, look, it, it's very hard to get away from Diego Velasquez. You know, he's a horse. He's by Frankel. He's related to good horses. But it was the impression that he created when he won. You know, he'd fix his toe out. I just, he looked so good when he won. But it's really interesting that you've got Capulet in there, of course, who's by superstar American horse Justify. So he's making a great name for himself over here. And it'll be really interesting to see how that one gets on. You would think in terms of Breeders' Cup participation, uh, showing off uh, Coolmore wanting to show off their their big stallion, Justify, who's had so much success with a, with a decent run, you'd think Capulet might just make the journey. Diego Velasquez projecting to be odds-on uh, on Saturday. Do you think there's a chance they might make the trip over with him? Have you heard any scuttlebutt about that? I, I haven't, but looking at him, he, he certainly looks like a horse who's got a real future. And it'll be a bold shout to send him. Uh, I think a lot will depend on what happens at the weekend. He, he he looks like a horse who's going to be more of a three-year-old looking at him. He looks like he's got a bit of bit of filling to do. And of course, Aidan O'Brien's got a strong hand at the weekend. You know, a big day on Sunday for them in Ireland as well with the racing at the Corra. And, you know, that Vincent O'Brien national stakes, again, City of Troy running in there. Like he looks like he's their number one on what we've seen so far. Let's talk about the Coolmore America Justify Matron Stakes. What a segue. We, we hinted at this race before. We've got an odds-on favorite to deal with who we, we, we talked about a little. But this is a deep and competitive field. Really, really interesting. And I feel like huge chances of having Breeders' Cup crossover with Meditate, a Breeders' Cup winner in here, Homeless Songs as, as well, a, a horse that seems like uh, you know suited by USA configurations. Who do you like on Saturday and who do you think going forward we might see at the Breeders' Cup? Yeah, really interesting. Chris Hayes, who uh, normally rides Homeless Songs, he's on board Tahira. And of course, she's a, you know, she's related to Tarnawa, who won at the Breeders' Cup for Dermot Well. It was the year that Christoph Sumion, I think, got COVID. And Dean stepped in to ride her, um, which was announcing him on the big stage, really, for a lot of people. Um, but she's a very good filly to hear her. And it's really interesting. Chris Hayes says it's a tough decision for him. He left it to Derma Well to make the decision which one he rides. Derma Well has put him on to hear her, And he says, that's good enough for me. She was very unlucky. She went into the English 1000 guineas without a run. And it, she just got caught close home. She's a very smart filly. Got a lot of speed. And she looks tailor-made for the Breeders' Cup. 
Oh, that's exciting. That, I, I, I love that idea. And, and will, anyone be, will anyone be beating her on Saturday? I, I think it's going to be tough. I really do. I think she looks very versatile. They tried to beat her at Ascot. It didn't work. Like, it doesn't matter how quick the ground is. She's very versatile. I think she ticks a lot of boxes. Like you say, the homeless songs, you know, she could be a value player for people. But Ger Lyons is a man who's never afraid to have a go. And it's interesting, he's pitched Zarinskin here. She's by Kodiak. She's got some good form to her name. You'd have said maybe the ground needs to be a little bit slower for her to be at her very best. But the fact that Jur is running her is a, a tip in itself. He's not a Don Quixote. You know, he doesn't tilt at windmills with a lance. He's a fellow who likes to have a goal, but he likes to have a goal for a reason. Uh, yeah, it feels like, especially with those colors, uh, they're, they're definitely well-meant and, and one you could consider if you're a USA uh, exotics player at the least. Give us a little update on Meditate. A lot of USA fans yeah, won't have been paying attention much since the Breeders' Cup win. She won last year at yep. the Breeders' Cup, but also they put blinkers on her first time. So that could be interesting to see if they have an effect because – you know, she looks a little bit lost this year. She finished fourth at Ascot behind Tahira. No excuses on that. So, obviously, they need the blinkers to spark her. Um, but the great thing about these races, winning you're in. So, I think that's the reason a few guys are having a go here. Because if you win these races, you get a chance to go. Right. And they'll get a help with the travel. It's not just getting into the race. You might be able to do that anyway. But financially, it just makes so much more sense um, and and if you if you can do it through the Champion Series program, I'd love to see her run well and see her again. It's always fun having the returning champions. You know, one of the things that's so great about uh, the jumps where you plied your trade at Cheltenham um, and Punchestown is year after year seeing these champions and these winners come back. We, we don't get that nearly as much in flat racing, but boy, do I love it at the Breeders' Cup when a horse can repeat or at least have a chance at repeating. Definitely one of the things I think that makes the Breeders' Cup special and different than a lot of other American meetings. Yeah, but I think as well, Peter, it's the time of year. Like, you know yourself, some people are better at certain times of the year. Sure. Different. They're the same. Some of them just spring bike when, you know, when they hit, as you call it, the fall. You know, when those horses get into that time of year, they thrive. And it's about finding them. Yeah, that is a great angle. And you see that. I think that's part of the reason for the people talk about horses for courses in racing. And some of that, I think, is as simple as the atmospheric conditions. You get you put an athlete in conditions that they're familiar with and they're, they're happy with the surroundings. Maybe the weather's a little bit cooler. Whatever it is, it can bring them it can bring them forward a lot. So it'll be fun to see uh, who ends up coming over from there. A, a loaded race as is the next one we're going to talk about, which is the Royal Bahrain Irish Champion Stakes. And this is another one where this, if, you follow, if you follow racing internationally, you'll have heard of a whole lot of these. We'll start with the most important question. Who's your idea of the winner on Saturday? I think we'll have a surprise. I like it. Uh, look, she's been really busy, Nashua, but she ran a hell of a race at York. Yeah. Finished behind Master Daff, who's a very good horse. She'll handle conditions. She's got that little gear. I wouldn't be surprised to see her run a big race. That's, the, love- that's the one I like in here. I, I, I just think that August Rodan, if the August Rodan turns up the turned up at Ascot, he, well, he'll be tailed off. He ran no race at Ascot. He looked lifeless. But Aidan O'Brien is a genius, as we know. And the fact that he's pitching him in here, you know, he's very hard to discount. But on what we saw of him at Ascot, you can forget him. It's a question, I think, at this point, will the real Auguste Rodin stand up? He's been talked about in the most glowing terms by by his trainer. What is your gut as to that key question? Which one are we going to (sighs) see? Look, he made really hard work of winning the Irish Derby. And everybody thought then, ooh, was that an under-par performance by him or did the second raise his game? I think then we saw more evidence of that at Ascot where he was very disappointed. He needs to bounce back, Peter. And we need to see the horse that turned up at Epsom 
on Saturday because the one we saw at Ascot was a shadow of the horse we saw at Epsom. Was there a stated excuse for that, or was it more was it more of a, a Aiden O'Brien throwing up his hands? He he threw up his hands on the day. There was no like the stewards inquired into the into the ordinary showing. They had no explanation, and and he was eased. Like Ryan Moore, he had to take his pedal off the gas pretty early on. Yeah. Not, not not the proper horse that day, but we'll see who turns up Saturday and we'll see what happens with Augusta Rodin for the rest of the season as well. Several other horses in the betting here. Any others you might be interested in for Saturday or potentially a tilt at the Breeders' Cup in a few months' time? Well, one that you should, you should try and get a close look at is King of Steel because I was working when he was supposed to run the Dante at York and he was withdrawn at the start because he was a little bit unruly, got himself a little bit hot and bothered. He is huge. He's a monster. So I think he'll like the American stalls because he'll have a bit more room in them. But yeah. he's a big horse. And it's interesting. The, the rider, Kevin Stott, he's gone on record as saying, I think this is a better horse over 10 furlongs than he is over 12. He's not sure that he's really stayed when in that race at Ascot when they went hard. He thinks he'll be suited to this. But... I just think this could be one of those tactical races where you've got a few Aidan O'Brien horses in here, the likes of Luxembourg in here. Like some of his form, if you go back to last year when he ran, he looked like he was a much better horse than we've seen this year. Ernesto, who won it last year. You know, again, you're looking at good horses. But I think, I just feel this is wide open and... I think we could have a surprise. I'm excited to see how it plays out. Any other horses from this far out you're looking forward to seeing at the at the Breeders' Cup, or will you do that analysis as we get closer to the time? Look, I think I think with a lot of these horses, I think a lot's going to depend on what happens on the run up to this because the Aidan O'Brien horses every year, he always, you think, oh, what's he going to send? What's he going to send? And suddenly he sends a plane load. <laughs> and we've seen it happen time and time again. You can never rule him out. You know, like we're talking about August Rodan. Well, I am. Like he's gone. He's had one bad run. You know yourself. You can never underestimate that man, Aidan O'Brien, because he's a magician. And I think one thing that's very interesting this year with Aidan O'Brien is for travel plan reasons, I don't think it was really planned out, just the way the planes worked ended up getting in several days earlier last year at Keeneland than he had in previous years. It seemed to me to really move the horses forward. Obviously, we saw the results on the racetrack, and I think that, that extra, it's only a couple of days to acclimatize, but I thought, and maybe I'm inventing a narrative where there is none, but I thought that it made a big difference, and maybe that's something that he'll try, I would assume, he'll, he'll do that way this year instead of showing up uh, right before get out of quarantine, let them be on the track a couple of days. It, it really seemed to help. And maybe another reason why he's going to have a very big Breeders' Cup. I'd love to have the chance to talk to you again, my friend, as we get closer. This was just uh, a lot of fun. Brilliant, Peter. Look, look forward to it. And it's lovely to chat to you again. I do want one more thing out of you. Um, your, the title of your autobiography comes from – the listeners will appreciate this, those that, those that are, are, are unaware – your, your line after winning, I think it was the 1996 Grand National, when, a, when asked about the feeling, was one of the best athlete responses ever. Do you recall what it was? Yeah, I can. It was Des Lynham, who over here in TV terms, is like he was like a little, a mini god. He <laughs> said, Mick Fitzgerald, you've just won the Grand National. How do you feel? And I said to him, Des, even sex is an anti-climax after that. <laughs> So I had to call my autobiography better than sex. And you know what? When you get a chance to do something that you've dreamed of doing all your life, when you say something like that, I think you're allowed to pass. Oh, no, it was fantastic. Are you kidding? One of the great one of the great athlete quotes. And I was a little worried bringing it up, figuring you talked about it so much. But then I remembered a story about a baseball player. I don't know if you follow baseball at all. I'm guessing not much. But a baseball player, Don Larson, once pitched a perfect game 
in the World Series, one of the biggest accomplishments ever for a baseball pitcher. And somebody said to him, boy, do you ever get tired of, of talking about that? And he said, why would I ever get tired of talking about that? It was one of the great moments of my life. I was hoping it would be the same with you. It is. It is. <laughs> well, cheers, my friend. This was a lot of fun. Take care, Peter. Next up on the show, we bring in one of the In the Money regulars. He's here to talk about Monmouth's Pick 5 this weekend, but I won't be able to help but ask him a couple questions uh, about Saratoga and the meet that just concluded. You read his work at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Still uh, recuperating, I guess, after the long 40 days and ready to wait for those Belmont and Aqueduct entries on Monday. I'm going to spend some time over the weekend kind of recapping some replays and and a variety of other things as far as the uh, the Saratoga meet went. But yeah, always need a little little downtime afterwards to, to recover. For sure. And maybe this year more than most. I mean, it was, there were some high highs this meet, also some low lows. Do you think there was anything sort of actionable that you'd want to put out there in the world to the, that might, you know, make future meets at Saratoga maybe a little more more ups and, and, and fewer downs. Do, do any like takeaways come to your mind? Um, not specifically. I think the one, you know, one thing I, I'd certainly like to see is uh, I, I think if there's more of a commitment on the part of the Naira racing office to commit themselves to a dirt program, I'd certainly like to see more dirt races because we, what could happen as far as the synthetic surface goes is still out there. I think the, and I wrote in, in my notebook one day specifically, I think if I was betting on it, I would bet on there being a synthetic surface at Saratoga in the next two years. Uh, if for no other reason than to move the off the turf races onto it. Yep. And I think that they are going to explore some more options turf wise. So if you take, you know, let, let's say you have 200 feet between the outer melon rail and the inner inner turf rail, and you take 75 of that roughly and commit it to a synthetic surface and use the other 125 on an, on an outer turf course, so to speak, and you can move a portable rail on that course quite a bit, I think it gives you a little bit of flexibility. The problem that we have not spoken about, and, and you know, this is obviously a different conversation and one that we could go on and on about for a while, this, the surface argument is, is a straw man, in my opinion. The, the argument that we need to go to a different surface is completely missing the point because this is much, much, much more about breeding and medication than it is about surfaces. And quite honestly, I understand synthetic surfaces are safer. They're not safer by a significant enough margin to completely destroy the sport, which is what would happen if we went to synthetic surfaces everywhere. Oh, it and, and exclusive. Yeah. And exclusively, correct. Yeah, well, the other thing it would do, and I say destroying the sport because let's say there was a national mandate to put in synthetic surfaces. Well, a dozen tracks would close because they can't afford doing it. Right. I mean, they just don't, they don't have the means. They don't have the capital to, to, re, to install a synthetic surface. And so they would just close. And if they're not in a scenario where, you know, they're a decoupled also alternative gaming facility, they're just not going to run anymore, right? Okay. And, and you want you want to talk about dead horses? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of dead horses if, if you, you have a dozen tracks across the country close. Anyway, I don't want to because I want horses to flourish. But if that were to happen, the, the problem that we run into from the racing office perspective is that those synthetic races fill. And racing offices want races that fill. So it's going to be, it's going to be kind of a tightrope act to install the synthetic surface, use it only for off-the-turf situations, but not actually card overnight races for it. And I think that's kind of where, and, th and that was Gulfstream's intention. Yeah. And you and I were sitting in Tucson at the racing, uh, the racing uh, secretary panel in 2021. And Mike Lakow basically said, you know, we're, we're going to use this thing as an off the turf stop gap, et cetera, et cetera. Now he probably didn't forecast at the time what was going to go on with Gulfstream's turf course, but that course is very much a third course right now. There's, there are three different courses that they're writing races for during the championship meet at Gulfstream. So that's my concern about that. As far as, and, and, and to get back to my original point before I went on a tangent, I'd like to see more of a dirt program developed. And I think part of that is um, committing to it, especially at Aqueduct. And I think there's going to be, 
Some of that is going to happen because there's no alternative because Aqueduct simply cannot handle the volume of turf races that Belmont can. Belmont has more distances. There are more rail settings. There's just a lot more that you can do between May 1st and July 15th. And so, I mean, at Aqueduct, there's one sprint distance and there's a mile and a mile and a 16th. And that's it on the inner. On the outer, you simply have, you can go up to a mile and three sixteenths, but they're not going to do that, that quite as much. Whereas with Belmont, you've got a lot more flexibility. Again, you can move the rail on the inner turf at Belmont to at least four different settings. So I hope that that's what happens. Uh, you know, I, I, how, how does it happen? I think it has to be a commitment from day one. I think it'll also reduce the number of issues that we run into when there's bad weather. Um, so I think, you know, that's what I'd like to hope for from a racing perspective. I'd also like to see... Uh, I, I, I don't, shouldn't say I'd like to see this. I'm intrigued by what's going to happen just with the schedule because it is going to be awfully tough for Naira to go through the next two years and not add dates to Saratoga. Well, it's, it's, it, a it, it's, been, it's basically been announced at this point, at least for the Belmont Stakes Festival the next two years. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go up to Saratoga for the Belmont and stay until Labor Day, but boy, whew. <laughs> what do two or three weeks at Aqueduct look like in between a Belmont Stakes Festival at Saratoga and the start of Saratoga? It's, you know, that's going to be tough. So it's be a carefully written book. And, and, you know, to me, just to piggyback on a couple things and then we will get to our regularly scheduled programming. There's two things you said to me that are, that are like almost no brainer, I think should be done. The thing about the synthetic track, if it's, if it's handled right, I think we all have a, a bad idea in our heads because of how unlucky Gulfstream got. When, it, when they went three surface and the turf course went kablooey and then they just ended up, the, the book just got weird and there were too many choices for horsemen and, and it just, it didn't work out the way that it was meant to work out. But if it worked out where that synthetic track is very much a training track and then maybe used for the, just off the turf and the races they card initially on there are just the lower class stuff that we used to never run on the grass at Saratoga anyway. I'd be zero problem with that. Do we need cheap turf sprints at, at Saratoga on the grass? I, you know, I, I, I for one think the, you, the, the right compromise is to let some lower class stuff be run on the synth and you use it for the off the turf races. And then the other thing I love that you said is emphasis on dirt. How about longer dirt races? Why do we ignore, you know, I guess we ignore it because that we don't necessarily have the horses right this second, but I'm not so sure that it isn't a, if you build it, they will come. If you ca- if you create a program for longer dirt races, I think you could get a whole other exciting division of horses that could run year after year and, and just open up a market to horses that can't run six furlongs in 111. I mean, is, is that specifically what you were thinking of when you talked about expanded dirt racing? And then we'll get to the mama stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great start. I think additionally... The money that was committed to New York Reds racing against Open Company, I think, is a great start as well. You know, I think there's a real opportunity there to develop that to get some New York Reds facing Open Company because there are a plethora of New York Reds around. And, you know, I'd love to see that. I, I think that that's, that's a start of it. You know, create starter handicap type series. They've tried to do that in the past. The problem is that horsemen have a ton of options right now. And, and when horsemen have a ton of options, it feels like the biggest loser is the racetrack. Because, you know, David Jacobson, who has a barn primarily full of, of dirt horses, if you look, I mean, I, I want to say he made as many Penn National starts in the last three months as he did Naira starts. And, you know, that's something that he's going to continue to do. And there's also options in Jersey, which we're talking about on this show, which, yes. you know, I'm not asking for any of these places to stop running. I'm just saying that you, if you can if you can create something very specific, as you're referring to, it feels like that could really have some legs. And it's just going to help strengthen your program overall, especially if you're looking at adding dates in the future. Because, I mean, my, my vision, truthfully, would be 10 four-day weeks at Saratoga. The problem that you're – that you run into potentially with that is if you're starting around the 4th of July, it could be a very soft opening. You're also backing up into Churchill. But um, I do think that it really would help your product in the middle of the meet when it can get a little bit soft. And when all is said and done, I mean, nobody's really going to quibble about spending two extra weeks in Saratoga. <laughs> Certainly not me. 
I'd love that. I'm fantasizing already about that extra off day too. But you know, we we'll talk much more about all of this stuff. This was just a little unscheduled thing. I couldn't resist asking you for a little uh, Saratoga content as we end the meet. Uh, lots more coming on that front. But now let's talk about this late pick five at Monmouth on Saturday, closing weekend on the Jersey Shore. We did another show, not on the network. You'll have to search for this one, though. It'll be in our free newsletter covering the, these this day. Um, Nick Cherry picking a few races from a fixed odds perspective. That Again, if you don't subscribe to our newsletter already, you should. It's free. In the moneypodcast.com slash email. Lots of good content in there, some exclusive stuff, but really just a great way, great roundup of everything we've got going on in the network and then some tangential things like this fixed odds show we've got this weekend. But here we'll start with race number six that kicks off the final Saturday pick five of the meet. We've got an allowance going six furlongs. How shall we light this candle? Yeah, you know, this is a race I think where favoritism is going to go to the six Buffalo, who uh, comes in with two straight wins. Now, first off, a claim by Dan Ward. And really has just developed quite nicely in these last two starts. Came back from the layoff for prior trainer Claudio Gonzalez, a stronger horse as a four-year-old. And you look at the buyer speed figures, I mean, he was seven points better than he ever was prior. And that really goes all the way back to his two-year-old season. So I think the expectation is that he should run well again. There's also not an abundance of speed in here. So that should help him procure kind of a, a forward position. But I didn't really want to take this horse as the favorite. I thought there were interesting alternatives. I went to the five all about the money for David Jacobson, who comes off of one of those Penn National appearances, as I referenced, where he finished third, didn't necessarily have the greatest of trips. He did kind of start and stop a couple of times, uh, but was finishing somewhat well enough. Uh, that was a race that was run just a, just a, a seven days ago. So he's back on relatively short rest. We saw Jacobson do this with Durante at Saratoga. He's done it actually quite a bit with horses that he brings back somewhat quickly. And I think that this horse has the tactical speed to stay close. I, I identified that June 24th race at Monmouth as good enough to really be a contender. I understand it was in a mile of a 16th, and this is at six furlongs, so it's a slightly different circumstance. I also wonder, Pete, a little bit if this does look like one of those slower-paced races on paper that might pack everybody together a little bit more. And if that's the case, I do think it helps all about the money a lot more than it helps a, a horse like Buffalo. I'll also admit that really outside of those two and Amity Road, uh, I thought the only other contender was just beat the odds. So I'd probably be inclined to take all about the money in Amity Road to try and, and get that ladder to turn the tables on Buffalo and just back up with the uh, with the one and six. All right. Makes sense as a way to get this thing started. We'll move to race seven. We've got $16,000 claimers going a mile and a 16th on the turf and a big full field signed on for this one. What numbers will be on your tickets? Yeah, I want anybody who's uh, complaining about a recent bad beat, and that's all of us, of course, to watch the replay of Bramble Blaze's last race. If you're watching this race, and I mean, I watched it three times, and every time I thought to myself, there is no way this horse is going to lose. And he's 0 for 3. It, this this was a wild trip. I mean, you know, with all due respect to the double bug, who does have seven career wins, not exactly sure where those occurred. I, I didn't look it up. But um, this was a classic case of how do you find a creative way to lose? I mean, this horse absolutely positively never should have lost that race. He was best by a mile. He was close to the hot pace the entire way, unleashed this big move around the turn, buried everybody at the top of the stretch, had about a three-length lead at the eighth pole between calls in the, in the running line, and just gets nailed right on the wire. If you bet this horse at 20 to 1, my condolences. I mean, that was as brutal a beat as you're going to get, and, and it probably left you saying afterwards how much the best do my horses need to be um, in order for me to win. With that said, I think you have to bet this horse back. I mean, I, I can't – I understand you kind of missed the wedding, but you didn't really get all the cake and everything else too. <laughs> so you're at least going to get a decent enough taste this time around to uh, to come right back to it. Um, I also like the 12 I lucked out. I don't love the post, but I do like Jorge Vargas getting on board – this horse was involved in that hot pace in the race that Bramble Blaze exits, and he really took heat the entire way. That's happened to him two starts in a row. And it's funny, Pete, despite this being a bulky field, there's really not a ton of pace. And I like these situations where the horse is drawn on the outside like I lucked out is because they only have one way to go. They have to come out of the gate, uh, you know, guns blazing, ready to roll. The biggest threat early looks like Staff Sergeant, who kind of went nuts opening up a big lead last time out, but really didn't go very fast. So I'm thinking that I lucked out, should be able to clear this field. And if so, I envision him being pretty dangerous. 
though. Six and 12 for me is the, as the main horses and I'll back up with the logical horses. That'll be betting here. Like the two, three and seven. All right. Good stuff. We go to the hinge of the pick five, two-year-old stakes action in the smoke black. And who do you like? Smoke Lacken, of course, partially owned by friend of uh, of every gambler everywhere, Roxy Roxborough. That's right. Were you aware of that? I for, I knew that and had long forgotten it. Crack sprinter in the Touch Gold year, uh, year Touch Gold, and all those other great horses. But I remember specifically those two racing against each other when we thought Smoke Lacken might stretch out for a second. And uh, I, I believe the line was that the, the Smoke Lacken, the Touch Gold moved by Smoke Lacken like he was glued to the quarter pole, but he, he was a fantastic sprinter. It was just those longer distances that caught him. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he won the hopeful in 96, began his career at Monmouth and was a very, very nice two-year-old that developed into a, a pretty solid three-year-old, all things considered and makes you long for these days. Smoke Lacken ran on January 12th, February 8th, March 1st, March 16th and April 20th in advance of the Kentucky Derby, which he, of course, passed and came right back and won the uh, the race that was at that point known as the Reaver Ridge. That is now the Woody Stevens on the uh, Belmont undercard. Uh, won it at three to five, beating a relatively weak field, all things considered. But yeah, he was a really, really nice horse. And uh, this is a race, of course, named for him. It's a New Jersey bred. To me, if Smoke Lacken was a Maryland bred, it's a Jersey bred that gets most of my attention in the eight Bookham Dano. Of course, watch that uh, Fixed on Racing uh, show that we did last night for a great conversation between Dallas and uh, and Pete about Hawaii 5.0 and how they watched it respectively 8,000 miles apart and uh, for the Bookham Dano reference. But uh, this horse was a really impressive debut winner. He, he sat comfortably off the pace. I mean, look, he didn't have a straw in his path. But, you know, one of the things that you can find yourself seeing in two-year-old racing, especially at this stage, is that if you've got tactical speed and you can be forward, you're going to make your, your own trip a lot, and you're going to be successful a lot. So I don't want to hold anything against him running well in there. He's got to deal with Shady World. This is a horse that's run well now, really, in all three starts, including the Tyro, where he was overmatched by no-name Mets. But uh, he came back on the dirt last time out of Delaware and just absolutely laid waste to that field at one to five. I think he'll be he'll be very solid coming back. I'll be very surprised if the winner comes from outside of these two. The it feels like the only things that could happen are Bucarino somehow taking another step forward for Freddy Velasquez, which doesn't seem ridiculous. It seems as if he will have to get better, or maybe Sea Streak is just a horse that that Eddie Owens has been waiting to debut. Sea uh, Wizard, who all of he stands at Hollycrest Farm, and he's a Jersey bred stallion. Obviously, Eddie Owens trains all the horses that Sea Wizard sires. He's six for thirteen with debuters, so I mean it is worth noting that this this horse can have uh, his progeny ready on debut. He's uh, this colt is also a half to both Stift and Speaking, both of whom were stakes winners of the Jersey bred variety. I'll make him a backup. I don't want to. I don't want to be beaten by him. I think it's unlikely that he wins. So. Seven, eight is mains for me, two sixes backups. All right, good stuff in the recap there. And we'll go to race nine, where we've got an allowance race on the turf again, going a mile and six and another big full field. Who's your idea of the winner? Yeah, good good race here and, and one where a lot of these horses have seen each other. You know, that's what happens at Mama towards the end of the season. And a race that's common amongst a number of them is the ninth from August 19th. I encourage anybody to go back and watch that just to get a sense of what happened. This was the classic slow-paced turf race that really, quite honestly, we don't get at Monmouth all that often. It's much more common uh, in New York. But Spites for Comet for Kelly Breen was always close. And then Nick Juarez just really got into a series of tough spots down the stretch. It, I don't want to blame him. He was trying to save ground. I'd much rather have a rider try to do the things that he was trying to do than to totally abandon it. But it ended up costing him the race. And this is a horse that was trying to get through on the inside. He got he was in tight in upper stretch. He got steadied in mid-stretch and really had no opportunity to unleash any kind of run. But did prove that day, as he had already in, in late July, that he fits the one other than condition quite well. So I, I think he's very dangerous. The horse to beat to me is Shady McGee, who Maddie Rowland actually gave an excellent ride last time. Uh, she basically just dragged him back and let him make one run. And even though the pace was slow, it was one of those classic slow pace situations where everyone was packed together. And so this horse making up some ground with a clear run on the outside was really not quite as difficult. The problem you're going to have here is that you're going to be taking four to one or so on a horse that was 16 to one last time in the exact same condition. I'm willing to look past that only because I still think four to one or nine to two is a pretty fair price on this horse. 
and he'll win if he runs his last race. It's just, it's a fait accompli to me that anybody could beat him, uh, that he'll win if he runs that one. There also looks like there's plenty of pace in here to set things up. So I'm, I'm going to keep it very simple. I'm going to use the two and 12 and look to, I'm sorry, two and 11 and look to move on to the next leg. Yeah, Lindsey Schultz having a great uh, mom meeting too, adding to the appeal there of the two runner. One more race to talk about. Race 10, $12,000 claimers, fillies and mares, six furlongs on the dirt. When it comes to this final Saturday, late pick five at Monmouth, Nick, how are we going to get paid? Yeah, I think part of the reason why you want to go skinny along the way is because you really want to open it up here. I, I This race just has a little bit of a smell to me. And I, I looked through the field and watched some replays, and I, I wanted to think in looking at the PPs that Arrow Shape was probably going to be a little bit too good for these horses. But I got to tell you, Pete, this horse had a perfect trip last time and somehow got beat by a horse that came up the inside. Maybe he she didn't see her, but, I mean, this this loss was pretty embarrassing. This is a horse who was home and, home and cooled off at the eighth pole and um, it ended up getting caught in a slow-paced race. And now is back in the care of Jose Delgado, who, of course, hits at a you know relatively high percentage, isn't really having a typical meet by his standards, but uh, she's the horse to beat. I just I think there are some interesting enough horses. I know the three wishes and dreams has to run better to win this, but she was badly paced compromised last time. She didn't have much speed early, which is customary, and they didn't move at all. But she did actually do a little bit of running, and, and I wanted to give her an opportunity to maybe move up at a relatively decent price. I also thought both the one and two, uh, Song Saver and Kashan, respectively, were both dangerous. I don't agree with the morning line. I think that Arrow Shape will absolutely be the favorite here. I'm not, I don't think that Song Saver from the rail off of a, a three-life win is going to take more money. But Song Saver's been good at Monmouth in two opportunities, has enough speed to protect that inside, and looks like a horse that you definitely want to use. So I'm going to use all of the one, two, three, and six. Um, I don't have any reason to, to go thin on the backups. So uh, four, five, seven, eight, nine. I'm gonna I'm gonna cover the whole field in here and hope to just get alive and see if we can maybe get the right price. Good stuff, Nick. Appreciate you, and we'll be talking soon. Sounds great, my friend. Thank you. Last but not least, we bring in our expert when it comes to all things Woodbine. He is buzzing, positively buzzing. I am certain from his beloved Lions' little upset victory on Thursday Night Football to kick off the NFL season. I wasn't smart enough to listen to him. He's Drew Coatney. How are things, Drew? No, buzzing is a good way to say it. Running low on sleep, and uh, the secondary needs to clean up. I think if you looked at the All-22 screenshot, there were probably like two or three plays where three Lions defenders in the secondary were on top of each other. Uh, And uh, I saw someone post something about uh, the Peyton Manning SNL sketch was about uh, as good of a representation of how Mahomes feels about his wide receiver core right now, just chucking balls at kids, trying to expect them to catch it. So kind of good to see the balance in the world go back towards the underdogs and the Lions. Well, there you go. Let's uh, We'll be talking NFL throughout the season, maybe doing some uh, challenge bets, etc. That That could be a fun thing for us to, to pick up the thread on as, as we move forward. For now, Let's talk about Woodbine. We're going to talk about the, the last five races because we have an extra stake in the Singspiel. Huge stuff next weekend when it comes to uh, Woodbine. We'll be, we'll be across that thoroughly um, here, here in the Singspiel. Uh, can we make a pace play maybe for, for our old friend uh, Town Cruise in this spot? I was surprised <laughs> to see 10 to 1 on the morning line, a result of the uh, you know numbers that maybe aren't uh, anywhere near his best this season, but could the eight-year-old be coming into form? That's what I was going to try to do, backing up with the four, Rock Emperor. How did you see it? Yeah, I, I'm going with Rock Emperor. I think that horse is the one who has kind of the pace edge. Is just going to sit right off of it and then close on well and uh, has just been running the best races. So nothing too creative there. But my backup choice was Town Cruise. I, I, like, we've seen this before where Town Cruise just gets loose. Yeah, it's been a little bit off form, but, I, I mean, I can excuse it right Comes comes off the 23 debut. Uh, Dream Shake is a big speedy horse going too short. And then last out got the job done and did exactly what this horse needed to do. And I don't think there's a reason this one can't step up at a big price. You know, the 2022 season, let's excuse a couple of those races as well. Woodbine Mile facing against Ivar in modern games, tending that hot pace in which modern games and Ivar came off the pace of. And then the King Edwards, uh, Field of Ariana. Uh, 
another big speed horse going the mile. So I kind of like that we're getting to the mile in the quarter and could just sneak away with it here. So our old friend town crews, the, the, the homers may be betting this one a little bit harder than we would like. Um, and I really don't see a case for British royalty at four to one. I think this is too sharp, not enough pace to close into and can easily see British royalty going back to the 10 to ones, eight to ones in which this horse I think is fair value. All right, let's go to race nine. Allowance race. I like the number six in here. Dreams of tomorrow getting onto the synthetic surface for Shug McGahee. If you look at the breeding ratings on time form, Dreams of Tomorrow might move forward on the synth. And I think if he does, he's going to take an awful lot of beating. Who do you like in here? Yeah, I, that's that's my top pick as well. We're reading each other's mail. The number six, uh, Dreams of Tomorrow, Lone Shug Runner. I think it's interesting. I I, I only see one one uh, start for Shug up at Woodbine, and that would be it, this horse in the, um, Kona the last in the Kona Cup. Um, so I I think it's a question of how how will this one take the all weather. I want to see odds above two to one. Um, should have some tactical advantage over the main rival who's drawn to the inside Artie storm. And then I'm going to use a little bit of the number four frosted over for Mark Cassie and Gary Barber, I think is overlooked a massive uh, three quarter million dollar purchase up for a tag today. I think got caught up in the hot pace last out might just be the speed in here today has beaten the main rival in Artie storm before hitting the soft fractions. And I think he'd get away with a similar trip. I don't think it's crazy. And eight to one feels like a heck of a price for something that, uh, Cassie and Savachi. I like that combo. Up next, it's the grade two Canadian. Phillies and Mares, three and up. We're going a mile and an eighth on the turf. Field of seven, but some very familiar names in here. Mr. Karras, Moira, Fevrover. Who do you like? Two words, Fevrover. <laughs> I like. I, I am just an absolute fanboy for this horse at this point. Uh, doing what this horse has done, the Beverly D being raced at Colonial Downs for the first time this year absolutely smashed that field. I don't even think really was asked. And and I love the running line. No doubt. No doubt is exactly what Fevrover did. And I think is going to put it on display again. I would love to see Fevrover at eight to five. I think we're going to see one to two. Uh, but I still think that's not a bad bet in here. It's going to be interesting to see if, uh, if Mr. Karras tangles with her to set it up for Moira. That was the, that was the way I was going to attempt to play it. Um, I understand the Fever over love. I'm not far behind you with that, but I was going to, I was going to call it two, one, just try to lock it up with those two and, and hope that some of the others like Mr. Karras took enough money to, to make that a strategy where we can build enough equity that it's worth playing uh, in some of these picks, even though we're going to have two of the top three choices, according to the morning line, any backups for you? Or are you just stone cold to Feb? Stone cold. All right, I get it. I totally get it, and I think could well wind up being the better plan. My old pal Moira, though, we'll leave, we'll leave her in for a penny. Race 11, allowance on the synth, fillies and mares, um, six and a half, field of seven. We'll keep it with you. Yeah, I'm going to go with the number seven, Ambassador Luna, five to two, the 30-time, two ta- uh, 32-time starter, has been running well this year, and the overall best figures of the bunch and um, has faced some tougher competition. And then the number one star candidate, two to one. I think this horse could be something special, moving through the ranks, getting it done. And again, a reason to go back and watch races. You see the blue coated time form fractions. You go, well, this horse got kind of an easy trip, right? No, no. Star Candy was in tight early. And then around the turn, gave about like a three length head start um, to Emma Claire, who was the favorite on the day. I think that was the horse that this one passed in deep stretch. And so had slow fractions and had to overcome those and finished really well. So I'm curious where Cassie uh, takes this one next. Obviously a big jump in figures going from a 59 last year to a 62 and then to an 82. I'd like, I'd like to think we can see another 80 plus buyer figure. And so just those two for me in this event, which I think if you go past those two, it gets pretty wide open. Seven and one for Drew, both logicals, both ones I do not mind at all having uh, on tickets as potential backups. And this might be me getting fooled by a horse who creates her own trouble. But the two Owens tour guide, I thought, has some fast, like really fast back races and, you know, never breaks well. I mean, every start is bump, 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 but it's had other trouble too, just getting in into tricky positions. And 
I just thought with a clean run through might be interesting. The 12 to one attracted me. I was going to play a two seven and one in race 12, which brings us to the nightcap, a wide open looking maiden special yeah. weight. We're going seven for these fillies and mares. Are we going to get paid? I'm going to use four horses in no particular order. All A's. I think you could use all in this spot as well. So don't, uh, don't let me talk you off your horse here on this one, but the number 13, uh, Shays town, at 15 to 1, gets back on the right uh, surface, expensive purchase, and well bet on debut, might find something again. Uh, the number 12, Beauty As You, 12 to 1, speedy horse who can't finish, but maybe the turf is the wake up call. The number 9, Morning Run, I think a lot of people are going to be on this one at 3 to 1. Terribly wide last out and has run some decent turf numbers. And then the number 4, Money Beats, 8 to 1, cuts back in distance, but needs to show some more speed to be in the thick of it. Um, for that closing kick, I don't think she really wants to come well out of it. So those four horses for me, but I wouldn't fault you if you went any other direction. There's a lot of possibilities. This is a situation where on at least one ticket, I'm going to try to be super contrarian and single where everybody else is spreading. And the one that I like is the two princess on a mission in the hands of a master in Atfield, Emma Jane in the irons. This is a horse who to me has just not distributed the energy well in the last uh, in the last two runs moving uh, laying up on and or moving into very hot paces with only three starts she's comparatively unexposed and i think she could be sitting on a step forward for atfield well drawn in this spot in a race that's totally wide open i like the idea of trying to get stuck into one who i do think will be six eight ten to one like the morning line says i'm going to try princess on a mission to close things out at woodbine drew Really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll have a lot more NFL chatter and a lot more Woodbine chatter next week. Woodbine Mile Week, I'm going to be up there. We're going to have all manner of special coverage. I'm looking forward to it. I know you're looking forward to it as well. Yeah, thank you. I just need a Dan Campbell Lion costume costume for (laughs) Halloween, and we'll be all set. (laughs) Drew, till the next time. Cheers. That's going to do it for today's show. want to thank all of today's guests, Mick Fitzgerald, Nick Tamaro, and Drew Coatney. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Most of all, want to thank all of you for listening and making these shows so much fun to do. A lot more on the network. Check out your feeds. Stay posted. Make sure you subscribe to our free newsletter. That's the best way to keep up on everything. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash email. For In The Money Media, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.